the fire service has done a really good job of putting itself out of business, getting themselves more into EMS and, and just totally shunting away firefighting skills. And that's fine when your department only runs three fires a year. But what happened when that, what happens when that number jumps to 30? Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. All right, I will start over, which is Chris Tobin, uh, St. Louis Fire, of course, uh, the standard disclaimer, Chris's opinions do not represent those of his department, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, I was saying that last year I got to catch your dare to say down in Dallas, and um, that, I wanted to uh, – the beginning of it, you play the music, you play the footage, you play the footage, and it's, it's, it's awesome. It's nothing but kicking ass, taking on fire. And then when it's over, you come on and say, now I want everybody to understand this is all my helmet cam footage. None of that is taken from anywhere else except my helmet cam. And that, to me, was so impressive at the beginning of that little presentation. So um, that – go ahead. Yeah, so the the point that I do that is well, I mean, first of all, um, the the music is just because um, anytime we do these classes or you go to any conferences, it's just you know honestly it's boring, right? You know? Yes. I mean, it's, it's just it's it, I'm shut off before we even start talking because we're all sitting in this dark room. Half of us are hungover, the other half of us have just eaten, and uh, I mean, the last thing everyone wants to hear is a human voice. So I decided to do something different, and I wanted to wake everyone up, and that's just how I do it. Not to mention, in my opinion, I think it gets people ready to um, learn. It gets people ready to experience something. If you think about before anything important happens, what do we do, right? We play music, whether it's a football game, whether it's a, you know, the a- anything. There's always music or something before it gets going. So that's kind of where, where I got that idea from, and it seems to be pretty successful. But to uh, specifically go back to what you're alluding to with the video is I'm a, I'm a big stickler on, on uh, using my own stuff just because I like to critique myself. And uh, no one's going to talk more shit on me than me. So I, I don't like using anyone else's stuff if I don't have to unless it's to, to give praise or, or to, to say what a good job that they have done, but uh, never to criticize. So, right on. And um, that's, why I, that's why I use that. Um, my own helmet cam footage specifically and just to show people that you know i mean it's this is this is my own lessons i've learned from from my own my own doing and my own work so unfortunately we no longer have a helmet cam um we're not we're not able to do that anymore due to a lot of reasons just um but uh i'm glad i got to see what what i what i was able to get during those times because i use it as as um, game footage essentially you know training yes. film that's that's what it was to me, and it's and it was incredible to see uh, stuff that I didn't even know I was um, subconsciously doing until I got to record um, my uh, just my myself working, and that's uh it gave me a lot of ways to improve myself. So that was awesome, and 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 like you said, it really does catch your attention right out the beginning when that when it starts screaming, and so <laughs> uh, there's no there's no uh, sleeping through that one. So right. uh, now, uh, if you want to take a few seconds, introduce yourself to those. I know you're you're not big on bios, which is something I'll touch on later. But you're not big on bios. But go ahead and for the viewers, let them know who you are, uh, um, quick. Yeah. So um, I, I have a I have a pretty um, I guess uh, eclectic pedigree in the fire service. I've been in it for 16 years now, and um, 
starting off as a volunteer, worked my way up to a combination department. Um, I did some, uh, I did some contract work with the defense department out of high school. I worked overseas in Iraq. I came back and I was a industrial fire inspector for Chrysler and their plants. So I got to mingle around wow. with, um, sprinkler systems and that kind of stuff. And then from there I went on and, um, I got a job in the city of St. Louis and I've been there for 10 years now. And, um, I currently, uh, work at rescue too. So that's uh, where I'm at. Nice. Perfect. Now, the other thing is you have uh, definitely written a lot of material over the years. You are not shy in sharing your opinions. I'm going to touch on just some of the ones that I've uh, you've given me the privilege of publishing at Firehouse Vigilance, which is one of my favorites, Renaissance Rising and the Culture of Extinguishment. Man, I love that article, um, one of my all-time favorite articles. The Half Story, uh, I still use that one to reference, uh, to explain to people what a half story is. Because even I, I, I've been in construction – uh, since I was 16 years old, and, and that that article on the half story kind of just solidified, like, this is our common terminology. This is a half story. I love that, and I still use it to this day. Uh, the Senior Man and Empty Walls, all about culture, and uh, you've run the gamut, especially the latest stuff with the, the, the Fireman's Guide to Main Street. I'm actually getting emails saying, when's the when's episode four of the Fireman's Guide to Main Street coming out? Yeah. Those things are uh, in-depth, but go ahead, talk. So, um, yeah, you know, it all started with the social media thing, which was by complete accident. You know, I never aspired to be um, a, a whatever you want to label me as um, in, in that way as far as an influence. So, you were uh, an influencer. There's no doubt. On Twitter, man, holy crap. You yeah, know, it was, was like a vacuum when you just disappeared. It was, uh, it was, and, you know, I did that for a reason, but um, we'll get to that later. So, but um, while I was there, you know, I did, I did my five years online, and um, I, I started off, like you said, very opinionated. I learned a lot of lessons. Um, maybe that's not the best way to be. Um, I, I, I personally don't feel like that's the, the best way to be. Um, you got to understand, and, and from from doing that, I learned that there there is no such thing as right or wrong in the fire service. You know, it's thirty thousand fire departments in this country. It's one point two million firemen, and for the most part, we all do things differently. And um, to get on you know, online and and share an opinion really doesn't lead to anything good for anyone. Um, even if you feel you're right, even if the majority feels you're right. Um, what what I learned was that there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's just best, better, and different. And um, I've, I've been uh, privileged to go all over the country, and I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of different, I've seen a lot of different stuff. Um, I've seen stuff that I would have, you know, said very bad things about, but I know that the, that they make it work where they're at, and to them it's right. So, um, the main thing is you have to have some sort of tolerance when you when you see something that you don't agree with that that doesn't that doesn't make it wrong. Um, plus, people jump to conclusions; they don't try to understand what they're what they're even seeing. Um, I came in social media um, at at a weird time in the fire service when there was a lot of a lot of um, the science was all the studies were were starting to be done. None of right. them were complete. There was a lot of stuff out there and. You know, I was I was definitely guilty of jumping on the bandwagon, and um, like like you said, I definitely shared my opinion. Maybe uh, wasn't the best idea at um, some of those times, um, but in the end, um, people don't realize I, I was friends with everyone. I never had any true enemies. Still don't. Um, everyone that I ever got in any sort of argument with online or spat, and some of them would go on for weeks at a time. Um, <laughs> we're, we're we're all friends. Those are people that I can call. And those are all people that I have most importantly, the most important lesson is everyone I've ever argued with, I've learned from. So 
um, those people are still teaching me things. And um, a lot of people just think that I don't get along or that certain people don't get along with certain people. But that's just not the case. Um, and that's what big conferences, I think the value in those are that right. we all kind of do get to come together and, you know, have dinner at the same table. And we all know where we disagree and agree at. We know that it's, it's a professional etiquette of, of that. Um, so, but uh, in, at the end of the day, we're all friends. I don't, I don't have anyone out there that I avoid or, you know, try to stay away from per se. But um, that, that was, that was the, the biggest thing that kind of bothered me about social media is you don't know that. You know, you just don't, you can't see that. Right. Right. On. Yeah. So there's no there's way. There's no nuance. Know. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's no inflection in, in, um, the written word or anything like that. So, but, um, but yeah, social media was kind of a weird time when I came into it and I started off, like I said, kind of, kind of just, um, beating a drum in, in the end. It, it was you know, probably not the best thing to do, but from there I definitely matured. And, um, I, I do have a, a really good article I'll publish eventually about the lessons that I did learn through those, those five years online. And, um, if you were able to see from start to finish, you would see the progression of, of the material that I put out in, in near, nearing the end. Um, and, and I knew when, as soon as I got online that it, it was just, I don't, I didn't ever want to stay online. I don't want to be doing that. You know, I didn't want to be a 30 year guy getting on Twitter every day. You know, I don't, that's not something that appeals to me. So I knew it was, it was a, um, a perishable, um, thing for me and uh, I wanted to make the best of it but if you if you could see the progression near the end I only put on I only put stuff online that people could learn from I, I definitely tried never to share my opinion um, I only tried to, to state something that I learned directly from that day at work or um, a pre the previous fire maybe the hour before mm -hmm. um, and I and if I didn't if those things didn't happen um, I would try to find something that I learned and share it and say, Hey, you know, this is, this is some neat, really relevant stuff. And here's why it's relevant. You know, and, um, I definitely went out of my way in the end to, to really hold myself accountable and not criticize, not tear people down. Um, um, because quite honestly, the fire service does a really bad job of taking care of each other. Um, we're the, we're the best, we're the, we're the best liars in the world. Um, brotherhood exists on a local level. But um, you step out of your zip code, and uh, it, it ain't there. So, uh, but um, so I try to get away from that in, in social media, and just tried to try to just pass on what I was learning, and uh, that's that's how I wanted to to kind of leave it, and that's that's how I did leave it. So I, I started off kind of kind of in a one way, and then I learned, you know, through through making mis some mistakes, and then I learned, and then I think I I righted it. I would like to say I righted it before I left. So. No, uh, and I, I, I kind of met you near the, the tail end of the arc, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. And so right, right at the point when you were sharing the articles and stuff, the, the, the learning stuff. And so that's, that's really uh, uh, fortunate for me because it's been some of the best articles that Firehouse Vigilance has had online. Yeah, uh, you, were, you were maybe one of the first or second people I told because I was trying to plan an exit strategy of how to, how to do it properly or maybe do it tastefully because when you just disappear off social media of course everyone has negative thoughts you know um you know scandal or you know some sort sure. of i got in trouble none of, none of that happened it was completely by design um i just was trying to figure out the best way to do it um that would benefit but uh it happened on a sunday night at ten thirty. i was laying in the bunk bunk hall and um 
Uh, my last post is something to do with actual, uh, something I never, ever talked about, because quite honestly, it did not resonate with me, was um, PTSD and suicide. And my last post was was a, um, you know, kind of a, a support for those people who I know that need it. And it was, that was one, one that was my last post. It was, it was um, basically, you know, support for those people if you need help. And I looked up all the numbers I could find. I tagged all the people that followed me that that was their, their thing. Right tagged on. them all in that post. And uh, that, that was it. I basically said, that was you know, the last one. Yeah. I said, uh, I said, it's been great. You know, I, I think I thanked everyone for the, what I learned from everyone. And um, that was what I wanted. That was my goal. Every day I got online, I wanted to learn more than I, than I taught. And that was the major reason I got offline was because um, that was out of bounds. I was no longer learning more than I was teaching. Um, and that, that is unacceptable from, from just my own personal perspective. Um, I, I always want to, I, I have a ratio. I would like to see, I would like to be learning at least three times more than I'm teaching. So um, that, that wasn't happening. And I was just, I, I was so busy going around teaching and you do learn quite a bit when you teach, but I wasn't learning new things. I was teaching what I knew the most and what I knew the most was my comfort zone. So sure. I wasn't necessarily learning new things and um, that, that bugged me. Um, and there's, and, and what bugs me even more is, is I have friends whose classes I, I still want to take and have not gotten to take them. So I, I was almost feeling like left behind, you know, it's, it's really cool watching Aaron Fields teach next to you. But it's it's better to be taught by Aaron Fields. You know what I mean? Yeah, sitting in the class. So, um, and uh, also something that I, I never had a taste for was the publicity and what the notoriety. Now, I'm not that. I'm not that guy. Um, anyone that that knows me personally, I, I avoid firemen. I, I'm not. I don't hate firemen. Not obviously. That'd be weird. But I'm <laughs> just not a crowd sociable kind of person. Um, I, I don't like seeing my face up everywhere. I don't. I don't. I never like that. That kind of I never got into that kind of thing. I never wanted to be remembered as an instructor. I never that's not something I want to be remembered as a student. Um, and uh, I, I knew that wasn't going to happen if I stayed doing what I was doing. So um, those two factors were uh, well, made it easy, you know, made, made it easy for me to, to say bye to the social media stuff. But that being said, um, I can uh, I can focus now more on, on writing. And I think the written word is the most influential way in the fire service. Um, so I always said, you know, that the best, the best response to a, a 240 character, you know, tweet is a 2,400, you know, you know, word essay. So nice. you, you nice. can, you can, you can explain yourself much more in depth with an article or, or whatever, or a blog, if you have one of those, then, then you can, you know, just with a little, a little blur, because I mean, all this social media is, is ADHD, you know, shock there's no doubt no doubt and that's why it's so successful so you you can learn little snippets but um i really wanted to take what i what i had my material online i wanted to coalesce that and expand on everything that i had i had learned and that i had put up you know i wanted to make some of my my tweets and and the whole articles and like you said that's what um i've uh i've linked up with some some really good people that write better than me and um i'm doing some writing with people and uh, we're doing that. So I'd like to say we're educating um, the fire service through through articles now. And it's not just tweets. You know, I'm, I don't like being anyone's entertainment. So, um, and that's what social media kind of is to me. It's kind of an entertainment, you know, sure. um, faucet. But I wanted to be a little more professional with how I uh, 
with how I was conducting that. And um, like I said, I, I'm, I want to, I'm, I'm back in the classroom now, you know, you, you might not know it, but I might be sitting behind you in, in the most random class in the small, in the smallest town. You know, I don't tell anyone right where on. I'm at. Um, I do still help um, departments if they, if they um, ask me to come out. Um, I, I've never charged a single penny for anything I've ever done. That's just my, my personal, it's my personal philosophy. I don't think, I don't think I should ever be compensated or profit off of um, teaching that that does not, I don't agree with that. Now, if you do that, if you have an LLC, good for you. Great. Um, that that's just not me. Um, so I, I, I one, of, one of the things you told me when I met you down in uh, Dallas was like, you said, Hey, give me a bunk and, and give me a place to stay and, and a few beers and I will come and teach my whole thing to anybody who will have me get me there. That's what you said. And so right. I've always respected you for that. So, um, and you know, the, so at one point in my life, I was the highest paid fireman in the world. Um, I, w I worked overseas with a private contractor. We started off well over six figures. I, I was pulling in $121,000 a year. Um, and uh, people got weird. People, your friends get weird with money. My, my mom at one point basically, you know, asked me for money. And it, it was, it was, it put a really bad taste in my mouth with money. So at that point, I said, you know, I'll never make it. I'll never, ever, ever do anything again. I'll never have money being the primary factor of motivation. So um, that's kind of where, where that came from. But then, you know, um, years later in the fire service, uh, a lot of people are out there for the wrong reasons. I'll just put it to you, I guess, frankly, in that perspective. Now, it doesn't mean should, uh, yes, I agree, you should be compensated. You know, time is time. People away from their families and stuff. But at the same time, when, when I teach some, my motivating, my driving factor for teaching is I feel obligated to pass on what I, what I know. I'm, I understand I work in an area that sees more fires than most. Um, I'm, you know, St. Louis isn't the busiest fire department. There's a lot of busier departments out there than St. Louis. Um, but I, I understand that, that most people don't get to go to fires like I do. So I feel like I'm obligated to pass that on. And I don't think that I should be in any way, shape, or form profiting off that. I don't have to teach anyone anything i don't i don't have to talk i don't have to do any of this but um i mean at the end of the day i just feel like i i'm i'm obligated to do that just because from where i'm at so um that's that's why i do what, what i do and i think um the future of instructing in the fire service is changing um we saw a lot of small conferences kind of come and go um now i think what in, in my opinion is going to be the the, the way the future is what I call the embedded fire instructor is where you go out to these departments instead of sending a department, sending one person to FDIC or a large conference, sending one member to go. And then that member does what? And they come back. They might, they might, what do they bring back with them? Right. You know, they right. bring back anything. So maybe have, I mean, how many people in the department don't even want to go to that conference? So right. when you send, when the department sends one person, to the, these conferences, who are they sending, right? They're sending they're usually their, their top performer, the go-getter. It's usually that like one to five year member, maybe a 10 year member. And they come back and that member unfortunately gets, gets shit on when they come back. You know, um, they don't share their knowledge. If they too try to share their knowledge, they're not recepted well, they're not received well. So instead of having that happen and that department spending that money that, to send that person out, why not have the instructors come a small group of instructors come stay in your firehouse, get the pulse on the culture 
see your trucks, see your daily checks, see the morning roll call, the routine. And then you can basically do a custom package of, of training in your whole fire department at one time for the same price as sending one person to a high-end conference. So that's, that's where I think it's going, and I have had huge success with that model. And that's what I do. A, a department will call me, and I'll come out, and you know, I'll, nice. stay with, I'll stay with them in their firehouse. I'll eat dinner with the guys. Um, I'll, I'll breakfast in the morning. You know, I'll watch roll call. I'll see how they check their trucks. Um, I'll identify training gaps. I'll recommend certain things they do. And now, I, I'm, obviously, I'm not a chief officer, so I'm not going to the chiefs and being like, hey, do this. That ain't how it works. Right, I'm, I'm right, at a basic, right. skills, basic skills fireman level. So, but that doesn't, that doesn't go to say you can't bring with you, you know, a line officer and a chief officer with you in that group, four or five people come into a department and you can do a top to bottom scrub and identify training gaps and, and fix an entire department literally in a week's time. You can have massive ramifications on that department's culture. And um, I think that's the most highly uh, proficient and effective way to, to train. I hope, hopefully it goes that way. So, wow. Um, no, that would be. Like that, I mean, I can't. I can. I can only imagine uh, how many departments would benefit from that kind of um, outward in inspection. Almost, uh, uh, you know, some departments, of course, might reject it. Some, some would embrace it to varying levels and degrees, depending on the culture itself. But, uh, like you said, compared to sending one guy to FDIC, uh, yeah, the difference is amazing there. Right, right. It, it was just it's it's just so much more effective. Um, I mean, you totally break the ice when you're eating dinner with these guys. I'm sleeping. I mean, we're sleeping in the same bunk hall together, where I get to go on calls with these people. Um, mm -hmm. That's why I make sure I go. Can I run calls with you guys? You know, I don't care if I watch whatever. I just want to see how you guys operate, and um, that's so much better than just some some random instructor showing up at your doorstep waiting for their waiting for their you know, their check to get written for them. Right. You know. That's that's ridiculous. That's that's what that's what makes the fire service suck, you know. Um, and uh, that's we let it happen, you know. We we let it happen. We we have these people just come, and we just pay for words. The fire service doesn't need any more talkers. It needs more teachers. So that's that's what the fire service lacks, really. And I got the idea from, um, for, from the military. You know, how does I watch how the military trains foreign foreign armies? You know, they, they, they send a very small group of highly skilled members to these foreign armies and train them up. You know, four or five guys will train hundreds. It's, it's, not, it's not hard. Um, and I kind of saw this from the fire service when I went to Africa. And that's a great thing to do if anyone's familiar with Africa Fire Mission. They're expanding that, over that entire continent. Um, I got to kind of do that with, with them there. Um, a small group of us, 10 to 12 people, completely trained an entire country's fire service over 10 days. So um, it, it's definitely doable. It's possible. And it's, it's highly affordable. It's highly affordable. Luke, so Lucas Chu asked uh, Tobin, do you have an evaluation model that you use when you do things like that? No, because it's, it, there's so much variance. There's no way there's, I, I don't even know how you would begin to start that. I'm not saying it's not possible, but um, right. like I said, the, the, there's, there's so much variance in the fire service. You have to really go into it with an open mind. So you kind of just, just it, it all comes, it all comes together, you know, you know, as it's happening. So, um, no, the skill set you'd have to have to be able to adapt to, I mean, everything from two man truck companies all the way up to six man engine companies and, and everything in between and responses and districts and water supplies yeah. and God mm -hmm. bless. It's like, 
Uh, right. He started. <laughs> you lock up? Nope. There you are. That's what you get from. No, I, I'm good. I just had a, a call. Okay. So um, that's what... to answer your question. There, um, I I am with a group of about twelve awesome top-notch fellow firemen who also teach with me. Um, I've taught with them at FDIC. I've taught with them in multiple states around the country. And, um, you know, the, the saying is surround yourself with people that know more than you. These are those people that know more than me. Um, I keep in constant contact with these people on a daily basis. We're, we're in a group chat together. And um, they're, they're everything from chiefs down to um, just, just line firemen. And uh, I, I can, I'm able to evaluate the situation um, based off more than just my skills so I have this asset, sure. and, and these, these, this group of people are, are like my second family. And um, I can bring these people out at any given time, and they'll, they might have the opposite quest. I might help them somewhere in a different state. So we're, we're able to evaluate a department with, like you said, staffing and stuff like that, because we, we all work across the country. We're, we're not just – I'm not bringing a Midwestern culture, right? I mean, all of us work in all different parts of this country. So we've seen, we've seen it, you know. Two man, right. three man, four man, five man. You know, um, we, I get it. And, and not to mention, all of us are either we're all volunteers and or career. So we, we get both sides of the fence. I yes. understand. I have a blue light and a pager in my house right now. So you know, I, I get it when when they say, you know, we don't we don't get staffing. And I understand what they're saying when they when, what they right. mean with that. So um, that's how I get around that. So it's right. it's not like don't don't get it don't get it um mixed up. It's not like like the Chris Tobin like fire model. You know, it's not. It's, I, I'm, I'm just one person. I'm just one little, one little advisor. You could say in, in the, in the equation that I, I always bring help with me and I make sure I always get a vacant building. I have to have a real actual, I do not, I no longer train in, in burn buildings. I no longer train in concrete or metal boxes that doesn't do anything. I can't pass skills on to anyone unless I have a real building. So that's, that's my first that's my first question when any department contacts me. I go, do you have a vacant house? And if their answer is no, then I, I tell them to call me back when they can get one. Oh, so, thank you. Wow. Okay. So if someone wanted to uh, reach out to you for that, what's the best way to reach you for, for something for setting that up? Uh, you could probably just Google my name. Okay. <laughs> my, numbers, okay. my number's out there, man. I, I guess the thing is I'm not, I'm not trying to go out and do this. I'm not trying to get okay. easier. So, okay. Um, fair enough. But, but I, I've, I've never turned a place down. You know, like I said, if, if I can't, I know I know about a dozen people that that think just like me and know way more than me, and uh, they'll they'll make it happen. So, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, that's that's where that's where I think the the future of instructing is going. I think it should be going more more of a an in house embedded type training. So, okay, yeah. I got uh, two questions. I always ask you. Well, one question I always ask yes, and I'm, you're the first one I'm asking this other one too. So I'm trying to get more positive because I always ask the. What do you think the number one problem facing the modern American fire service is? If you can put it into words in your, in Chris Tobin's illustrious opinion. And I, I've always asked this question, but I, I, I'm kind of like, it feels like a negative question. So I have a follow up that, that is, you're the first one who gets it, but go ahead. Yeah, I would say that the number one challenge in the fire service would just be, um, declining fire, lack, lack of, lack of experience. So, and, uh, it's hard to argue. There's, there's, uh, there's definite ways around that, you know? Um, uh, so that's, that, that's it. I would say that's without a doubt. The training gaps are, the training gaps are, are glaring. I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't even 
start to count the amount of times I, I've been in a building doing a conference and I've asked everyone in the room, hey, what kind of type one through five, what kind of building are we in right now? And not a single person out of this 100 plus group knew what kind of building they're even in. Now they'll argue with you all day about aggressive firefighting and all that, you know, whatever. But right. they would, they'll get in a fist fight over that stuff, but they have no idea what building they're even sitting in. So how crazy is that, right? Like where, where are our priorities right now? So before, oh, that's a, before, that's you, a... <laughs> before you start arguing where a, a host stream should be operated from, and it really, I, I can care less. But before you start arguing that, how about you figure out what kind of building you're freaking sitting in, you know, like start sure. there. So, um, that's that, that would, I, in my opinion, that's the greatest problem right now is just lack of experience. Priorities are out of whack. So that's hard to argue. If you got, uh, um, of course, uh, the first time I've ever asked this question is what you've, you've almost answered it, I think, but something you are extremely excited about for the future of the American fire service. Um, yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, how, how the, in, the instructing, um, circuit is evolving. Right. So that, that's a, a system of checks and balances. Um, I'd, I'd like to say the, the machine, some people call it the machine is, is kind of fractured at the moment. Um, it's a weird place right now out there for fire instructors in general. Um, but, uh, it's, I don't know. It'll it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. The market's definitely saturated. What people don't realize is, um, that there's out of the 1.2 million firemen in this country, it's a small fraction that are going to all these conferences. There's a small fraction, maybe tens, a couple tens of thousands, maybe. And we see the same faces over and over again. I see the same faces over and over again. And I'm only in a handful of States. So, um, what, what we need to do, I don't know. We need to get more people back in to, to learn in the trade side of things. I think the mission has definitely creeped away to a critical scale. And that matters because what's about to come in the next two to three years is going to rock the fire services world. Um, obviously everyone's going through the same, you know, pandemic right now, but right. what no one, what no one is talking about is what happens after the economy totally just goes to shit after this is over, you know, um, the fires are going to go up. The fires are absolutely going to go up. And um, it's, I don't think it's going to be warrior fires, but we saw what happened after the, the Great Recession with the fires going up. We saw how Stockton became Stockton. Um, <clears throat> and unfortunately, the fire service has done a really good job in the past few years of creeping itself away. And by past few years, I mean about the past decade and a half. The fire service has done a really good job of putting itself out of business getting themselves more into EMS and, and just totally shunting away firefighting skills. And that's fine when your department only runs three fires a year. But what happened when that, what happens when that number jumps to 30? 30. Now yeah. what? Now, now what do you do? Now you're in a whole, un, now you're in unfamiliar territory. So, um, and uh, I, I don't see how we're not going to see fires go up. I can tell you from right now, my department is way busier. We, we have been going to not only more fires, we have been going to more occupied fires because where is it? Where is everyone at right now? Oh yeah. They're at home. Everyone is at home. This is the most populated, this country, the most, I guess, occupied at home. Yes. This country has ever been in modern history. So everyone's at home doing human behavior things and what causes fires, human activity. Yeah. 
<laughs> so they can, they then, can build it and so catch themselves on fire. People do. So right. you're going to, you're going to start see a, you're going to see a huge spike in fatal fires. You're going to see a spike in people trapped. And uh, I hope you have been throwing ladders. You know, I hope you've sent your members to, to you know, training <laughs> instead of learning Learn how to be you know, skills. Yes. Right. So, um, no, that's, absolutely. That's around and the corner. Scott Thompson, he made, I, I saw, I caught him at winter workshop, you know, chief Thompson from the colony. He made a great point about, uh, no one's ever seen what lightweight construction looks like after 50, 60 years of being around. And we're, we're coming up on that, you know, as it, yeah. as it starts to, as it, as it ages. And so combine that with the economy, a couple questions to throw at you. Lucas hit you with another one. Lucas Chu says, Chris, would you say that there's a lack of firemen asking questions coupled with a lack of firemen passing information on? Uh, I would say the ones that are passing information on, um, are, are um, they're, they're out there. They're far and few between. They're doing it at a local level. But um, asking questions, I would say, depends what generation you're in. Um, the, I would, to answer the question, frankly, I would say no. I don't think there's a shortage of that. Um, there's probably too many people talking, in all honesty. Too many people talking that shouldn't be talking. And then, um, no, I think, I think for the most part, my generation and the ones younger than me, we ask a lot of questions. You know, that we're, we're, you know, generation X and Y. So, and that's why we're generation oh, Y. No. <laughs> but, no. uh, um, so, I mean, and I, I've always gotten in trouble, you know, because I've asked too many questions. You know, I've right. always been that, that kid like, hey, you know, you ask, why you ask so many questions? You know, right. Cur- oh, number one thing's got, got me yeah. in trouble. That's the number one is the questions I ask. Are like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing it this way? Sometimes it comes across negative, and I understand a lot of it's by yeah. inflection. And, but uh, also, Eddie and Shorey says, hello, greetings from the volunteers of the Indonesian Fire Department in southern Kalimantan. If I mispronounced that, I'm sorry. But thank you for right. watching from Indonesia. Uh, right. So, awesome. man, uh, a lot of good stuff so far. Uh, Chris, I always want to ask people what they're reading or if they have books. Uh, the guest, I always ask the guests if they have a book list or, or books that they would like to suggest that firemen should read. Cause I think reading is so important. So, yeah. So, so, um, the, the, the first, the first thing isn't, isn't a book. And I think people should get online and they should look at the socioeconomic factors of, uh, fire instances. It's written by FEMA, um, written in 1997. And that is probably the most underread report, um, in, in our time. And it, it literally sh- goes to tell you why fires happen. These are the reasons why fires happen. These are the groups. This is what um, vacant buildings do to fires. This is what, what poverty does to fires. Um, and uh, y- you should definitely understand your social fabric. There's a massive lack of this lack of understanding of where you work and where people work. You have to understand the environment you're working in and why your fires are happening in your area so you can be ready for them. Like I said, it's, it's coming. It's wow. what, what's, what's around it. What's around the corner is, is going to catch a lot of people off guard. Um, and so you just go, do you just Google uh, the FEMA socioeconomic uh, fire yep. statistics mm-hmm. or whatever? Just, okay. just, ty- okay. just type in a socioeconomic factors of fire instances. Socioeconomic fire. factors of fire. Okay. No, I'm writing this and, down because uh, I, I didn't know that one. So that's great to know. And I mean, it, it right. breaks it down. It breaks it down in exactly where fires are happening and where you can expect them to happen. And it's, it's a study was done in 1997 and it absolutely rings true. And, um, I've always said in my class, you know, this is the era of declining fire. You know, everything we've learned was from the seventies and war years. And I've always said, and I hope I'm wrong, but I always said, unless there's a 
unless and, and it'll never happen again unless there's some sort of global economic catastrophe and unfortunately where, where are we right now right <laughs> so right I, I hope i'm wrong i really do I right. hope i'm wrong um but other than that um i would read a book called the fires by jill flood that specifically documents why the warriors are so bad in new york um that that book's great it's uh, called the fires by jill flood um the fires okay and uh those two books particularly pertain to, to what we just talked about with the you know, impending situation. But um, other than that, I say get back in the old text. If, if I was a college professor right now, I would do an entire semester on old fire text and the lessons that are still relevant in today's fire service. Because back before um, 1980s, before IFSTA proliferated the, the publishing industry, um, we had tr actual trade manuals. I mean, these books are written like actual trade manuals. There was no agenda. There was no – people that were writing these books were firemen. They weren't sitting behind a desk. Um, and uh, there's about four or five books that are just absolutely amazing. Almost every page is something that is completely relevant or something that's almost unknown that is still relevant that you can't find anywhere else. And uh, my, my personal favorite is um, – Emmanuel Fried's book, Emmanuel Fried, is uh, Fireground Tactics. And I think the, the last publication was, I can look at it right here. The last publication, I believe, is like in 72. But um, Fireground Tactics by Emmanuel, Emmanuel Fried would be what I consider the best fire service publication you can buy um, or okay. find. And, um, That's it, pretty it, high every, praise for that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal book. It is a absolutely phenomenal book. Um, other than that, there's about four or five other ones out there that go all the way back to the 20s. Um, actually, one I got one right here. It's called Sci Science and Firefighting, written by Lou Flanagan, and that one's published in 1920. And that one has all, I mean, right, Science and Firefighting. Who would have thought that that was written in 1920? Right. <laughs> so, um, and they're probably but, still uh, proving stuff that's in that book it, with it's, these new studies. It, and it's 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 crazy to see the stuff that we have just forgotten and now is is considered new. And it, it, like I said, there's nothing new in the fire service except for those who never knew it. And that's so true because it's the same principles over and over and over again that we're just now proving in a lab, which before we just you know, let the street prove for us. Now, there are some, there are some small um, things that you, you pick up in these books that, that you know is no longer accurate with the ventilation and stuff. And if you understand sure. the fuel packages back in the day, you understand why the vent profiles are what they were then. So – that's, an, that's an, if you're new to the fire service, maybe these aren't the books you should be in. But once you have a couple of years under your belt and under, understand um, fire dynamics and such, absolutely start start reading backwards because that's what actually taught me the most. Um, gotcha. In, in, in these in these books, so because of course when they wrote these books, they weren't burning solidified diesel fuel, basically. No, it was all no, okay. no, It was they they weren't. You're right, they weren't. But what they were doing is they were, especially the, the books written. Um, between the 60s and the 80s, I mean, that was the busiest time ever. Right, you know, right on. recorded history for fires. So th these people were so in tune with the job. I mean, it's it's amazing. Every single page just filled with paragraph after paragraph of just awesome, awesome stuff that, that I, can nice. use, I can use tomorrow. <laughs> so. Awesome. Well, Chris, man, thank you for coming on and taking the time out of your evening to be the guest on Weekly Scrap number 29. It's always fun to talk to you. I do miss you on Twitter. I'm not going to lie. 
because it was entertaining. And I know you say you're not an entertainer, but it was entertaining. And so yeah. I, and some of your, I still to this day follow uh, Chris's rules for Twitter is one of your tweets you put out. And okay. uh, so right. I still try to follow those to this day. But uh, thank you for being the guest on Weekly Scrap 29. Guests coming up over the next month, we've got Lex Shady coming up to talk, Nick Ledeen, Tom Johnson, James Johnson. It's going to be an exciting week, uh, month. Chris Tobin closing out March for us. Um, I really can't say thank you enough. I love the books you have suggested here. And the, the problem I have now is every time I have a guest on, they give unbelievably – no one repeats to other people. They, they give unbelievable books that I have to now go get. And my <laughs> reading list is – I'm so far behind on my reading, it's not even fun now. Sure. So um, – yeah, well, uh, no, thank you for having me on here, and uh, you know how to get hold of me. So Always, man. My and pleasure. Uh, thanks again. Uh, thanks all everybody that watched. Uh, everybody out there, I hope the tone stays silent for you, unless it's burning. Stay safe out there. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.